So I was sharing a little bit earlier with regards to this image of this baobab tree, this multi-generational baobab tree. And we've got the, this four-year-old baobab tree to my left here, which is a gift from a friend of mine. He gave it to me as just a, he grew it from a seed and he wanted to bless me with this little seedling, which was not much smaller than it is now. And in four years, it's, it's probably grown maybe two or three centimeters um, since I received it. And, and then on the, on the right, on the screen here, you've got this Segolia baobab, which is the largest baobab in the world. It sits in Limpopo, trunk diameter of 10.47 meters and a circumference of 32.89 meters. And you can see next to the, the base of the trunk are people standing in, in, under the, the kind of shade of its canopy. And, and, and you look at the scale of this. Now, the, as we were kind of sharing this, and this isn't part of my meet, the, the message this morning, but I do want us to look at them, and I want us to see this little baobab. I want us to see the big baobab. And when we look at the one, I want us to look at the other. And whenever we talk about the church, when we talk about our function, when we talk about our role, I want us to see the picture of this 10.47 diameter baobab even though we might be in this little space over here and we might be this what looks like a little seedling and we think how does this become that now this word segole uh, is actually segole uh, is is an Italian word and uh, the plural is segole the, the, the singular segola and it means halyard which is a nautical term and it's a nautical term for a rope used to raise or lower a sail, a flag. So this, this kind of baobab, it, it, it's an image of a rope used to raise a sail or a flag. And the scripture that came to mind is in Isaiah um, 11 verse 12 and it says, He will lift a signal flag for the nations and he will gather Israel's dispersed people and assemble Judah's scattered people from the four corners of the earth. The lampstand that Jesus is building here with Adventure Church, we trust, will be the signal flag that he uses to gather his people who have been scattered. And who are we gathering them to? Not to us, but to him. And we trust that as the generations come. So, what I've actually felt in my heart, and it's something I'm wanting to put out there so you guys remind me of this, is one day when we have a permanent venue, one day when we have a permanent building, I'd like to plant this baobab in that place as a prophetic declaration of the multi-generational inheritance we have to raise the signal flag of our King. And we trust that he will build and that people will see this picture here in generations to come of something that started out as small as that. So as I, I preach this morning, I'm going to ask you just to, to keep looking at the two between each other. And it, like I say, it's not specifically part of the message. It actually really doesn't tie into the message at all. However, we're talking about local church. We're talking about the early church. We're learning from the early church in the book of Acts. And what we see in the book of Acts is this little seedling. 
as the church is starting to break forth. Isaiah says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It was early days. It was days where the church was not yet fully structured. It wasn't, it wasn't deeply rooted yet. It was, it was growing. It was taking on new life. And we get to experience some of this. So we're going to be going through Acts 6 this morning. And it's the first time we start seeing leadership um, functions being brought into the context of the church. At this stage, the Christians, those who were serving in the church, were Jews who had a revelation of Jesus. Jews who had seen the, the, the manifestation of the Messiah and realized that Jesus was the one that they had been waiting for. So Acts 6 from verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. So a majority of the Jews were speaking Arabic, but in this particular instance, there were a group of Greek-speaking Jews who were starting to take a bit of a struggle in their hearts because the Hebrews were looking after their own widows and the Hellenist, Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, so these were the guys that were fulfilling the apostolic perspective over the church at the time, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should be, pre is it not right that we should be preaching the word, sorry, let me rephrase it, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So on the one hand, we look at them and they're saying, we don't want to serve tables. We want to continue preaching the word. But when they gave criteria for who to choose, it was men who were full of the spirit and of wisdom. There's something about that for me that, that really stirs in my heart. Now the word serve there is, is the word diakono, which means to be an attendant, to wait upon, menially or as a host, a friend, or figuratively as a teacher. Technically to act as a Christian deacon, to minister unto or to serve, use the office of a deacon. So the word serve there is directly translated into the word deacon. So when they say that we're looking for people to come and serve, it was the first appointment of deacons in the, in the early church. So therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we being the, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and, and Parmenius, and Nicholas the proselyte. So a proselyte is a person that was not born a Jew, but became a Jew by circumcision and was incorporated into the Jewish people. So, Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. 
There's something about the laying on of hands that brings an impartation. So to this day, we still lay on of hands in the, 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 the ordin ordination of deacons so that there's an impartation into their, into their hearts, into their lives. There's something of an anointing that comes with that. So they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So many of the priests, they're referring to the priests within the, the Jewish synagogue, became obedient to the faith. They had a revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. So the apostles continued to preach, the apostles continued to share the word, and the deacons were there to administrate the functions within the church, so as to release the apostles to do what they were called to do. But these were not ordinary men. They were men full of spirit and full of wisdom. So they didn't just say, let's just choose someone. They wanted people who could lead and set an example in how they behaved. Verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace, and the word grace there can also be translated into faith, and power was doing great wonders and signs amongst the people. So he was still continuing to minister. He was still in ministry. He wasn't just there serving tables. The role of the deacon was beyond that of just administration. There was still an outworking of him and his anointing. And he was full of grace, full of power, and still doing great wonders and signs amongst the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But when they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke, spirit, capital S, so talking about the Holy Spirit there, then they secretly uh, instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. We were talking earlier this morning as we were having coffee about some of the, 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 the persecution that takes place still in the world today. Those who are giving up their lives. They've made the statement, we wonder, where's so-and-so? They're missing from the meeting. No, they were beheaded yesterday. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. The early church at this time was facing the same persecution. It hasn't changed. We walk in the freedom of living in a place where persecution is not rife like this. But we need to contend for those who are still living in a place where accept, accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior means they get ostracized from their families, they get disowned, they get threatened, they get killed, they get imprisoned for the sake of His name. So 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 13 speaks about the qualifications for a deacon. This is after the qualifications for an overseer. Now, we need to know that the, the function of a deacon, the function of an overseer or an elder in the church is not hierarchical. The highest call that we can have in, in church is that of a saint. 
and that is something that we all fulfill. Yet there are functions, and within the functions come different responsibilities, different authorities, different governance, but they're not hierarchical. We, as we walk in as the priesthood of all believers, with Jesus being established as the high priest, so before in the Old Testament you had the Levitical priesthood, and Aaron was that of the Levites, and he, he fulfilled the function of the high priest, and his children fulfilled the functions of the high priest as they came afterwards. It speaks about the fact that the new high priest will come from the order of Melchizedek, and that we see, we trace Jesus' lineage, and Jesus has become the new high priest. And we have the incredible blessing of being the priesthood of all believers under the high priest of Jesus in the new order of Melchizedek. But then within the church, we have different functions to fulfill different things. And what we see in the, this passage of Scripture in Acts is as the functions were implemented, so the church even grew more. So we're seeing up until this point, incredible multiplication in the church. And at the point of instituting deacons, there was even greater multiplication and even greater adding to their numbers because both the administration and the preaching continued. So what are the qualifications for a deacon? Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now the word faith used to describe uh, Stephen earlier is the conviction that God exists and is of the creator and the ruler of all things, the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through Jesus. A complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So they've got this complete trust and confidence in who Jesus is. That was the word faith used to describe uh, Stephen, and in the same way, in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 3, it says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Deacons need to be people who understand who God is, who Jesus is, and serve Him with a confidence in Him. Then it goes on in verse 10, it says, and let them also be tested first. Let them then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now blameless is one of those words for me in the word that I love because the word blameless and the word sinless are not the same. Blameless means those who repent and turn from what they do. So it's not that they are absolutely perfect, but what they are is they are made perfect through the righteousness of Christ. But they must be tested. What does that mean? It must be people who we look at, and as we've heard before, when you consider the outcome of the way of life, is the outcome of their way of life worthy to be imitated? You know, when there's an ordination, and there's an impartation that takes place, there's a benefit for the person who's being ordained, and that impartation does something, and it activates and shifts in their life. But the purpose of the ordination is for the people to know who are le who's leading them. When we watch soccer, and, and both Dave and I have the, the privilege, I would like to say in inverted commas, of, of being Man United supporters. But what happens is the club appoints a club captain so that people know who's the one that's meant to be leading. 
When we ordain deacons, when we ordain elders, the purpose is so that the sheep know who's leading within that local church. So they have to be tested so that they are worthy to lead. It says their wives likewise must be dignified. Now the word deacons is masculine and feminine. So there's deacon and deaconesses is not often in brackets as well. So that's why within the church context, men and ladies, deacons, there's no problem. But there, it says here in verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, sober faithful in all things. In ministry, husbands and wives qualify each other. So we work together as a unit because the two become one flesh. So you don't appoint a deacon who their spouse is not involved with the things of God. Because you actually want them to operate in unity as the team that God had destined them to be. So it speaks about both spouses in this here. Their wives likewise, likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Godly people. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So they must be well respected amongst their peers. Paul's charge to Timothy, do not let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example to believers in speech and life, in love and faith and impurity. These need to be people who set an example to believers in speech and life, in love and faith and impurity. So although the, the function is administrative, we see with Stephen there's still a ministry element that comes to it, and there's still signs and wonders that are being performed through Stephen as he steps out in the anointing and the gift that God has given him. Yet he is responsible for administration in, in the, the context of distribution within the, within the church. So I want to look at Stephen, and he's a guy who comes on the scene quite explosively and leaves quite explosively. And he, his, his life is reduced to two chapters, Acts 6 and Acts 7. And we'll go through Acts 7 at a later stage. But, but for, for Acts 6, we see something when it refers to Stephen of things that I would like to see in my own life. And I'm trusting it will encourage us to see this in, 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 in each one of us as well. And it says there that Stephen is a man full of faith. And he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be a person who when, when people look at me, they say, there's a man who is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when they look at me, they see Jesus. I need to be so firmly grounded in the confidence of knowing who He is as Lord and Savior that there's something of that that's deposited into the lives of people. Stephen was full of grace and of power. Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends the earth. So what happens is says Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So what was he? He was operating in power as he was being a witness. 
We see the fulfillment of Acts 1a coming out and the manifestation of that through the life of Stephen. Those who rose up against him and were dissatisfied in what he was saying, it says there, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, spirit capital S. They could not withstand the way in which the Holy Spirit was speaking through him with wisdom. There's something about that that stirs up within me that I want to be a person who when I speak into situations, people hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through. Because I subject myself and surrender myself and submit myself to him and what he's busy with. And lastly, it says there, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel, a which is a messenger from God. They looked upon him and there was a, almost a question, is this a man or is this an angel in our presence? Why? Because Holy Spirit was working through him. So we can look at this passage of Scripture and we can look at the context of a deacon and, and, and the way in which they, they ordain deacons, the function of a deacon, the character traits of a deacon, the qualifications of a deacon. And, and I think that that is so vitally important for us to consider in our local church. Even at a place when we, just like this little baobab over here, and we think, but we're too small. There's only a handful of us. But as God builds and as God grows, we need to be aware of the way in which God builds local church. And we need to be faithful with managing that well. But off the bat, we need to know that this is not a hierarchical function. But there's an incredible purpose over these people. And in actual fact, that when they are appointed in the church, when there's this ordination that takes place, we see an impartation, but they are already working out their salvation in a way that people look at them and see Jesus. But then I want to look at the, the, the life of Stephen and say, there's something about this man that challenges me to the core. He was one who put up his hand and says, I will give my life for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because he had an incredible revelation of who Jesus is. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Understand the fullness of that statement. Maybe a people who live Jesus. To live is Christ. We need to live Jesus in everything that we do. And this is not pressure. This is not something that we have to function for me, whenever we speak about works, whenever we speak about performance, whenever we speak about bearing fruit, we've got to go back to John 15. By this you prove to be my disciples that you go and bear much fruit. But the verses before that, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It's in our relationship with God that fruit is a byproduct. It's not that we strive to do it. It's not that we perform. It's not that the, the works are, are, are based on us and our ability, because if they are, it's for us and our glory through him and what he's doing in us and through us for the advancement of his kingdom that there should be a byproduct of fruit but what do we need to do we need to seek Jesus so that we know what are the things and the plans and the purposes that he has over our lives the good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk into them Ephesians 
What are those good works that we should walk into them? I love that statement because there's such a almost flippancy about walking into the things that God has pre prepared beforehand. Just got to walk into them. It's simple. And you know what? When we do, incredible things happen. And there's something about the life of Stephen that stirred up within me as I look at him and I look at the way people saw him and they saw Jesus in the, in the, in the process. Even unbelievers could not comprehend. They were trying their best to fight against him, yet they were confounded by his wisdom, yet they looked upon him and said, this man has the, the face of an angel. Jesus was radiating through Stephen even in the face of persecution. I heard the story of a, a man who was dying of cancer. I'm trying to think of the context in, in which I heard it, but I'm going to paraphrase the story. But there was something of his life, and he, he was quite a famous guy, and I, I seem to remember it being in, in a sports context. But... Everyone was rallying around him because he was dying. And yet, what he left them with was he kept serving all the people that were coming to serve him. Testament of who Jesus is. And he served them until the very end. We see this as we, we go through the life of Stephen, and we'll continue with that later on as we go through Acts 7, and we see how he came to die, how he gave his life for the sake of the gospel. But my prayer over us is that we will be a people who are full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power, doing great signs and wonders. And we're not going out to chase after signs and wonders, but it should be a byproduct of our lives as we chase after Jesus. There is something of the manifestation of Holy Spirit in our lives that when we touch the lives of people, their lives are changed. I heard a statement this week. I was listening to a testimony of a, a group of guys in Durban who own a custom motorbike store and they've started a men's ministry through this motorbiking store. I'm actually going to go try and visit them tomorrow. But, but the, the one guy says, what is it that you want from your life? He says, I want to walk around and leave oily footprints of the anointing of Holy Spirit that other people may walk in and feel Him tangibly. I want to drip with the oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in everything that I do. I'll tell you this much, if you grab a glass that has oil on the outside, it is very difficult to get rid of that oil. I pray that when we embrace people, and we hold them, whether in the physical, whether emotionally, whether spiritually, that we will leave an impartation of who God is. That their lives are changed, transformed.
because they get to encounter our King. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray that we will not despise the day of small beginnings. We will not limit what you can do in and through us because of our own earthly limitations of understanding. I pray, Father, that you will give us that heavenly perspective, that we'll be like Abram in, 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 in Genesis 13, where it says, you said, look upon what I'm doing. Look as far as the east is from the west, the north is from the south. I pray, Lord, that we will look through your perspective, that we will look through your gaze, through your lens, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that we will just continue to have a heart for the lost and the unreached. Stir that up within us, Lord Jesus. Compel us, I pray. Use us, Lord Jesus. Reveal your plans and your purposes that we should walk into them. Reveal the places that you've already anointed for fruit. That we're not asking you to bless what we are doing, but we are saying, Lord, what have you blessed that we might walk into it? That we don't lay up our vision or lay down our vision for the vision of Adventure Church, but we lay down our vision for your vision, King. We lay down our dreams for your dreams. That we lay down our plans for your plans. Our purposes for your purposes. So that we may walk into fruitfulness where we see that lives are transformed, that hearts are restored, people who are broken are made new. Tyron makes a statement. He says, we're not in the business of making uh, broken things fixed. God's in the business of making dead things alive. Lord, I pray, Father, that we will see dead things come alive in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.